electric wavy when I turn it on All from my city, all from my home We're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone I got that sunshine in my pocket Got that good soul in my feet I feel that hot blood in my body When it drops, ooh I can't take my eyes off it Moving so phenomenally
Welcome into the show. This is day two, April 9th, 2019. It's 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call. All time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for joining the show. I'd like to thank Chris Kessel for coming on yesterday. Today we've got Cardick. Krishner coming up in just a few minutes, and we're going to dive into all topics, soccer, football, around the world, um, his experiences, his background. Um, thanks again for all the feedback from yesterday. Um, it was it was fantastic to hear from so many of you. Um, thanks for the kudos um, as we start this kind of next chapter um, from what began as a two-minute daily podcast called Soccer Works, um, now expanding into a Monday through Friday live show, and Soccer Works will soon become a television show, and we've got some announcements coming up about all of these projects um, in the next few weeks uh, that I'm really excited about, and I think that you are going to like. Um, so look, it's it's going to be a process, it's a journey, uh, and we are getting going um but we are we are very excited about where we're going and what we're doing so um look the one of the things that as you're 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 putting together a show and you're thinking through topics and you're thinking through you know where where do we start yesterday we were talking a little bit about promotion and relegation and the necessity for that system the necessity for clubs and players and coaches to be able to experience opportunity and access across the country. Um, and, and today, I, I want to open the show t- talking a little bit about some of the, the things going on right now in, in terms of the uh, current status of leagues and in the system as it is now. So, when we when we look at uh, American soccer and when we look at U.S. soccer, um, one of the things that we hear a lot are platitudes. We hear a lot of talk. A lot of things are are mentioned when we are looking at uh, American soccer. For example, one of those would be that that Major League Soccer the top league in America uh, currently it that it is it is working to become a league or the league of choice is a phrase that that MLS uses quite a bit and in that kind of of rhetoric you you hear you know these big lofty uh, terms and these goals and these dreams but one of the things that I I am a big proponent of is I, I will hear what you have to say, but I want to see what you're doing. What are you doing? You you may want to become the greatest player in the world, but if you don't get off your couch, you're never going to get there. And in the case of Major League Soccer saying we want to be the league of choice, I you know, I I, I look at some of the things that happened, you know, this past weekend and, and continue to happen, and it's an embarrassment on American soccer and on the league that you have a team in New York City FC, this franchise playing in Yankee Stadium, a baseball stadium, which is, look, 
there are teams around the world that play in multi-sport stadiums. It's not that playing in a baseball stadium is the end of the world or, you know, should never be done. But the, the baseball stadium needs to to be conducive to playing soccer, to play to playing a football match. Uh, Yankee Stadium is a bit tight. And not only that, they're having all kinds of issues. Like, for example, this weekend, the, the turf literally just started rolling up. The players are running, going to cut, and, and then you just see giant ro- rolls of grass just come loose. That can't happen. When you, when you are going to be a league of choice, you are certainly not going to be attracting the top players around the world to your league when you can't even keep your grass in place. So when, you, when you're looking at American soccer and you hear things like this, I, I just think we all need to, to, to hit the pause button and, and take a minute and you know, look at what we're doing because that matters more than what we're saying. What we do matters more than what we say. And, and you know, I'm I'm a big fan of, of Gary Vaynerchuk, and Gary will talk about this a lot. He'll say, you know, listen to what I'm talking about, but if you really want to 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 know what to do or or take the next steps, do what I'm doing. Watch what I'm doing, not just what I say. And and I think that is so true with with American soccer. And we see that in other areas. You know, you, you you hear youth clubs who will talk about development, you know, and you'll hear these buzzwords with parents. If you if you're new to the game and you're trying to figure out like what is what is the landscape of you know soccer for my kids, what what am I what are my options? What is the best thing? Because every parent, if you are going to invest in your kids' soccer education. And you're going to put money and time and resources into your kids' uh, soccer careers and soccer development. You want to make sure you're getting your money's worth, that you're getting good value. And so these clubs have have used this language and these buzzwords, and, and sometimes they 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 bring in people with funny accents and and they help with these sales pitches. And, and it's all about platitudes, you know, that we play possession soccer or we play positional play soccer. Or we develop kids and we don't worry about winning or, you know, we do worry about winning because that matters the most. You hear all of these things and it's all over the place. You hear jargons and slogans and and and, and these expressions and these phrases and you're trying to figure out as a parent what in the world is going on and and when you look at these clubs and when you are interacting with these clubs it's important for you even if you're not even if you don't have a a big soccer background maybe you don't really know the game right so you you don't really know what is development i I hope this is development i'm paying for it i hope it's good if you don't know you can still observe you can still watch what they do and better yet watch their track record do you see their players moving up through their system and playing for their first team if that club has a first team if it's a generational club meaning they have a an, an adult you know first team whether it's pro semi-pro amateur doesn't matter or 
or or if they don't have that, are they producing players that are going on to become professionals? Are they producing players that are going on to get college scholarships? Something that is at the next level, beyond just being a paid customer of the club or a paid member of the club. Are they producing players? And are those players skillful? Can they can they play well with the ball? Or are they just bigger, faster, stronger? Are they are they like a bull in a china shop? These are little things that as parents, even if you don't know the game, you can you can definitely find little things to look for and and details to understand that will help you be able to to figure out whether that club is the best fit for you and your family. When we look at the American soccer landscape on the adult amateur space, one of the the big key names involved is the NPSL, the National Premier Soccer League. And the NPSL has been around for a while and it is a it is an amateur league that has regional leagues that are connected together into a national footprint. So they don't play national matches, right? So if you're in Miami, you're not traveling to Seattle to play a match. But they they do have a playoff structure at the end, but most of the regular season is all within these smaller geographic zones. Well, the NPSL has been making noise over the last few years about an open system, about promotion and relegation, about access for, you know, every club in America connecting together. Back when the NASL was still a a league in operation, they were publicly posturing and, and making comments about connecting with the NASL, which was sanctioned at the time as Division Two. Uh, in America in, in connecting those things together. And then, you know, there's been other conversation about connecting with other leagues. But when we look at the NPSL, there is, there's a few things that you see going on right now. Number one, that you have this, this founders cup group of teams. There's a, there's a, there's a selection of clubs, about 11, 11, 12 clubs that are part of this classic version of the NPSL that are looking for something bigger, something better, something longer, because the NPSL plays a short season. So they want a a full season league, and they want a league that is, you know, a level up from where they are. And so a group of clubs came together and decided that they were going to form this project. And, And so this fall, there will be a Founders Cup and and it will include those those teams, not every NPSL team, just a small group of teams. And 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 looking at that and looking at the NPSL, which is a, a nonprofit league, which has nearly a hundred clubs, you you start to see and hear all of these aspects and aspirations of we want to be you know, the the league of choice for amateur teams in America. We believe we have the best product. We believe that, you know, what we are doing is is the, is the best 
value and the best opportunity for amateur clubs. And we want to be a part of an open system. We want to connect together. And then you have this group of clubs that, that is saying, okay, we also want to, to help build this next chapter and create a longer season, more sustainable, uh, bigger professional uh, type of league. And when you look at all of these things, you start to see that there's a lot of talk, but we're not seeing a lot of action. This has been talked about for five years, this idea of promotion relegation in the conversation with the NPSL. But in that time, there has never been a plan released. There has never been a, a, um, a vision that is, that is cast openly to the public to say, here we are, here's where we feel like we fit in, in this system. And, and, and yes, this is ultimately the responsibility of the U.S. Soccer Federation. They're not doing this. So we are going to voluntarily look to connect to other leagues. And here's where we feel we fit in that picture. And here's our proposal. Here's our plan. Here's how we can connect and, and feel like we can serve the game the best. And when we look at the NPSL, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing a plan. We're not seeing a strategic operating agreement. As a matter of fact, the this Founders Cup group of clubs and the NPSL don't even have a an agreement, an operating agreement between these two projects beyond 2019. So when we when we look at the amateur game and 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 we look at all of these issues about you know can we register players insurance registration you know competition all of these things licensing logos trademarks expansion we're still missing the point and one of the points that we're missing throughout american soccer and this is not just an npsl thing but one of the points that we're missing is what should the structure look like if we were an open system? And that has to be the starting point. If it's not the starting point, then we're going to make mistakes. The way every league in America is constructed right now is it is constructed based on the current setup, which means that every league operates unto itself. It's a closed system. You have to buy your way in and you have gatekeepers that either say yes or no to your participation in that league. You are, you are not able to just play your way in. That's, that's the FIFA rule. That's sporting merit. You win your way in. That's not how it works in America. We actually only have three levels in American soccer. One, two, and three. And one is MLS, two is USL Championship, three is USL League One. And recently, there's been a new league called NISA that has, has uh, filed to try to operate as a third division later in 2019. And that would operate at the same level as USL League One. Below that, there is no Division Four. The USL League Two just is floating out in the ether. 
Now, on paper, it, it, the way that they have branded, the way the USL have branded USL Championship, USL League One, USL League Two, is a branding uh, initiative that was ripped off from the English system, where you have the Premier League as the first division, you have the Championship as the second division, League One is Division Three, League Two is Division Four. So the USL got smart, and we're smart in this, and they said, look, we understand that we're playing in a closed system. How can we best uh, position ourselves as a league with, you know, we have these three different leagues, these three different projects. How can we connect them together with branding? And even though U.S. soccer doesn't have a league uh, designated as Division Four, branding our amateur league, which, you know, formerly known as the PDL, as League Two gives us a good positioning uh, platform, even though we don't have Division Four by U.S. Soccer to 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 kind of make that as a pseudo claim for Division Four. Well, the NPSL have always thought of themselves as Division Four that they are the best amateur league in the country. But when we when we dig into, for example, the NPSL and realize that it is a nonprofit league, it's really operating because it's in a closed system and it's set up, its rules are for closed systems. It's really operating with three roles. Instead of it being just a league, it is really an association of clubs. It's also a league and it's also a commercial entity. In, in other words, it's trying to bring in commercial dollars, sponsorships, whatever. And if you look at the NPSL as an association, as a league, and as a commercial entity, all wrapped up into one, it's hard to say that they are pulling off this joint project very well when you look at what they could be doing especially in the in the area of action supporting their comments of promotion and relegation that they are in support of promotion and relegation when you are in an open system and you have a collection of clubs that come together to form a league from a competitive standpoint and you are going to structure yourself for open play or sporting merit, you've got to be able to pass clubs from one league to the next league or from one league to the league up. And the way that you do that is the exchange of shares. So when you look at leagues around the world that operate under FIFA compliance and this principle of sporting merit, promotion and relegation, you have these leagues where each club has an equal share in the league. And by having an equal share in the league, what happens is when that club is promoted and they're going up to the next league up, they are exchanging their share of division two league with the division one club that just got relegated. So they, they, there's literally a process in place. It's, it's already set up. There's an MOU, a memorandum, memorandum of, of understanding. It's, it's an operational agreement that is preset between the leagues where the clubs that are coming up 
exchange the share with the club coming down. There's no drama. It's a formality. Everybody understands it. Everybody accepts it. It's part of the system. And in order to operate in that way, to be in an open system, you have to have leagues that are set up where each club has an equal share. So shares can be exchanged. When you're running a league as a nonprofit association of clubs, it's fine for a closed league. You don't need to have equal shares. You can have an equal membership. But when you are operating with a, an entire structure or a system of connected leagues, your leagues need to be set up in a way where each club owns an equal share so that when they are promoted or relegated, they can exchange their share in that league with the club that's either coming in from the top or coming in from the bottom. So that is an area where we look at action. So the NPSL, more than any other league in the country over the last few years from a national standpoint in terms of trying to connect to professional leagues in America have been the loudest league in regards to promotion and relegation. But when we look at what they have done to position themselves to be in that type of scenario, they haven't taken that action. They haven't restructured their organization to meet the needs and the opportunity of being in an open system. So these are areas, whether you are a parent looking at a kid, your, your child in, in a club and trying to figure out buzzwords and development and this and that, you know, what are they, what are they talking about? Start looking at what they're doing. When you are a fan and you're looking at leagues, start looking at what they're doing. When you, when you look at the UPSL and, 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 and they have made a lot of, of movement here in the last few years and growth and trying to expand around the country, look at what they're doing. Are they connecting to other leagues? Are they creating their leagues, these regional leagues? Are they set up where each club owns an equal share in the league? Are they getting positioned to connect to other leagues? These are the steps that have to happen. And with, in the case of Major League Soccer, they've got to figure out New York. It's obviously not working at Yankee Stadium. And, and, and if they want to be a league of choice, just like the NPSL wants to be in an open system, they're going to have to do some more things to get that right. So, again, the, the kind of thing I keep going back to today is we have got to... Um, we have got to start looking at what people are doing rather than just what they are saying. So um, it is, it's definitely, you know, sometimes feels like, you know, one step forward, two steps back and you get frustrated. You keep waiting and you keep hoping that things are going to change, but just keep looking for action, keep encouraging, keep trying to help. I, I'm sure that eventually we're going to figure this thing out um, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, today's sponsor is Charity Water, 
And um, they do amazing work around the world, bringing fresh drinking water, clean drinking water to people around the world. And it opens up so many doors. And uh, it, it's amazing the work they're doing. If you're not aware of Charity Water, check them out at charitywater.org. We'll be back in just a minute. We're back, and we are joined by Kardik Krishner. Kardik, how you doing? I'm doing great, Daniel, and congratulations on the new show. Uh, you've done such great work with Soccer Works. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, kind of slipped with that one. But you've done such a great job exposing, I think, the public to the challenges here in American soccer and in, in, in our current structure and our current closed system. Really excited about this new live show. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Um, it, <clears throat> you know, we, we have a lot of issues, as you well know, in American soccer. And um, I kept trying to figure out how can we start to, to take some steps to educate the public. And, and so I was looking for a way to kind of drop some, you know, bite-sized information to people. And it, it really came out of just these informal conversations with parents, you know, like I remember this, this one conversation I had a few years ago because he, he's such a baseball guy. And I was, I was actually uh, coaching his son and like a, a six year old, he was, he was on my son's team, a uh, six year old team. And um, after practice one night, we were, we were just talking um, next to the field and, he did he didn't know anything about soccer. He didn't didn't understand anything about the global system, anything. He all he all he, you know, knew is American sports. And he's a big baseball guy. 
And so I w- I started explaining to him what it would look like if baseball operated under a system of promotion and relegation. And less, in less than five minutes, he understood the concept, bought into the concept, and was like, I wish every American sport operated under that. How amazing would that be? So whenever that was kind of a light bulb moment for me and then going through the election, it was just clear that, you know, I needed to find a way to start connecting the American public with, you know, some more information and, and trying to educate. And then it just kind of, you know, inspired and spin off of this. And, and then, you know, we're going to spin soccer works into a TV show with where we can actually chart out some things and, and graph some things. I think it's going to be, pretty cool that we'll be talking about here in a few weeks so anyway thanks for that um so how are you doing i'm doing quite well daniel it's just uh, another day and uh I, this, this thing never ends i mean there's something that happens it seems every week uh, in terms of uh league structures and and, and league uh conversations actually had a lower division summit last week in boca raton somewhat slimmed down from uh from what we had in chattanooga a year ago following uh the election uh, but it still some important conversations and i think one of the uh great takeaways maybe the greatest takeaway from that particular uh event was that the current system empowers leagues over clubs and and that's i think your gateway to understanding everything that's going on certainly and and you know i i actually spent the the first part of the show today talking about what we need to start looking at what organizations clubs even people do more than just what they say. And, and so when we look at the system of American soccer, I use this term a lot, uh, gatekeepers, that, that our system is set up to promote gatekeepers, people that, that get to arbitrarily decide who's in and who's out, who's a winner, who's a loser, who has access, who doesn't, who has an opportunity, who doesn't. And in our case, in terms of competition, you're absolutely right. What you guys talked about at the summit is spot on. That leagues over clubs is the way that we are set up now. And what we really need is clubs over leagues. That leagues just become containers of clubs, but that the emphasis and the focus is on on providing opportunity and access to every club. So I think that's that that's important. What else did you guys uh, sort out or, or, or figure out or learn or discuss at the summit? Yeah, I think uh, something that has become challenging is marketing to um, general soccer fans, uh, fans of the Premier League, fans of the La Liga, fans of the Bundesliga. If... Um, and fans of Liga Mekis even, if you don't have any sort of tangible goals for a club in terms of upward movement in a pyramid or, hey, we're going to develop these players, we have a player development model, and these players are going to be moved on to, to higher level clubs because uh, we don't incentivize either thing, quite frankly, in our system. So even if you don't have promotion and relegation, but you had some system of solidarity payments and uh, training compensation, for these smaller clubs, amateur clubs, mostly amateur and semi-professional clubs uh, throughout the country, there would be some incentive to uh, do uh, 
do something with local youth clubs or with you know, youth clubs that are outside the development academy structure, and there's a whole ecosystem of those clubs that are being ignored currently in the current system, work with them and develop players, develop local players, and that also will improve um, your, your standing with fans or potential fans because you've got local players you're developing um, that you're trying to move on to the next level. They're good um, public relations stories, good media relations stories there. Uh, but without incentivizing player development, uh, either through, hey, if, if we develop some really good local players, uh, because most of these teams have exclusively local players, let's, let's face it, uh, you can climb the pyramid, or, hey, we have a closed system, but um, we're incentivized to sell players because uh, we're going to get uh, training compensation, we're going to get a solidarity payment, uh, payments that follow this player throughout uh, its career you know, his career trajectory. If he goes to uh, USL, then MLS, then goes to Europe or goes to Latin America, South America, there'll be um, some sort of compensation and reward for us throughout his career trajectory. Without that, there's very little, um, there's very little incentive, which then puts you in a position where you're essentially battling within, um, within these, uh, these smaller ecosystems. And then one other important point, Daniel, that came up was that uh, since we have a closed league system, since we don't have promotion and relegation, yes, we have these designations from the U.S. Soccer Federation, first, second, third, and then we have a, uh, a bunch of t- uh, leagues that are, uh, that are sanctioned under the Adult Association, which you know, could occupy the fourth and fifth division space if we had a properly built pyramid. Um, in fact, from a marketing standpoint, there doesn't seem to be much of a difference between marketing a second division team in USL versus a, a, a team in, in an adult amateur league because the way um, we have created this uh, perception with the closed league system is you're either in major league soccer and you either pay $150 million to get into MLS or you're in a, quote, minor league. So uh, there was a lot of discussion about, well, you know, maybe moving up leagues isn't the smartest thing uh, unless you have a structure that promotes um, club independence. So uh, that was another uh, takeaway from that conference, and that was a, a conversation I didn't expect to have, that particular conversation. It's something I believe, but I didn't know that there were club owners and club uh, employees that felt that way as well, or, or so many of them. Well, I think the one of the, the interesting things that I, I'm hearing from you about uh, that conversation specifically is – it, this is something I'm very passionate about. It's the idea of having generational clubs, clubs that have a youth setup, that have youth teams, youth development, all the way up to a first team. Whether that first team is, you know, playing in an adult amateur setup, whether they are playing in, um, you know, a quote unquote professional minor league. I hate that term, but you know, I get where what you're saying about it. And, and and why that really is a reality with our current system and setup, and then in the major league soccer at the top. If if you have a generational club, and you have youth through adults, to me, it is a very different conversation than in terms of marketing and connecting to the community than being an isolated standalone team where you're basically a first team and then you're trying to work, in my view, backwards and try to figure out how can I connect to this youth club, this youth club, this youth club, exa- you know, et cetera. I, 
I, I, I've had this conversation with clubs that are generational and talk to them about, do you understand the advantage that you have? You have 1,200 kids. You have 1,000 kids. You have 1,500 kids that are in your club. You don't even have to go into the community to market. You just got to get your kids and their families to come, and you're going to have 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, 2,500 people at your matches. So this one of the, the mistakes I think we've made is not only have we screwed up the open versus closed system, but we've also screwed up the formation of clubs themselves where where we as as a as a federation have created a culture where everything is segmented so we have adult amateur soccer over here we have youth soccer over here we have professional soccer over here and we see this in the councils and the way that they vote they're all split into these segregated councils and we have this segregation all throughout the segmentation all throughout U.S. soccer, and, and it has a detrimental effect on clubs because there are a lot of clubs that were formed and they were inspired by the Chattanoogas and the Detroits. And they said, man, look at what they've done. We want to do that where we are. But, you know, I'll take, I'll t I'll, I'll take a, a, an example, a recent example that the 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 club in in Mobile, Alabama, AFC Mobile, they they started play two years ago. This will be their third season playing in the Gulf Coast Premier League. Now they have set all all the attendance records in the first two years for the league. However, they are they they're not really a club. They're just a team. They have they have a first team and they have no youth component. And, and, and so they've done a great job, an outstanding job at marketing to the community and getting people to come to games. But I've told them over and over, if you guys could figure out the youth piece, you would double or probably triple your attendance just because you have this, this customer base, this, this group of people that are part of your organization you're able to stay in front of them 12 months a year when it comes to the commercial side of things you can now sell sponsor deals rather than just focusing on playing in a in a in a two-month season where you you're you're basically in operation for five days a year in mobile for 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 matches home matches you're you're, you're in business in the in the city of mobile for five days a year instead of that now you're operating throughout the year because you've got all these youth teams playing. You get so much more access to sponsor dollars, marketing opportunities, building a loyal fan base that can take your 1,000, 1,500, turn it into 3,000, 4,000 people. I, I just think that, that we've got to start looking at this um, as, a, as a systemic issue across the country that we've got to shift towards generational clubs building those attachments that you're talking about to those youth clubs and figuring out a way to turn this into a development pipeline a community oriented club and generational at the same time does that make sense to you it makes a lot of sense and and uh, again a team like afc mobile they've had great success at being a quote team that attracts locals to five match nights a year 
at home, but that doesn't make you a club that's not going to allow you to make take your next next step. Um, we had a club present uh, the Lakeland Tropics, who are a USL League Two club, uh, and were originally just a team, like uh, as we're talking about. But eventually, uh, now after several years, has uh, has a major. Uh, it's MASL now. I don't know what the acronym was. It used to be MISL, but it, 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 an indoor team uh, that's in the top indoor league in the country. So that bridges some of that uh, period between outdoor seasons. They now have uh, three youth clubs operating under their umbrella um, in different parts of the central Florida region, uh, which allow them to then buy, get buy-in from those parents and those kids and operate a 12 month calendar and operate like a traditional club and have a path to pros and all the things we talk about within one organization or one integrated uh, pyramid with a single club. But um, we were discussing at the conference with them that the, the, the reason that this had to be done and how you had to transition from just being an entertainment option five nights a year or six nights a year, whatever it is, in your local market to being an actual completely built out football club. And um, what you're describing in Mobile is uh, is exactly you know the symptom, right? And and uh, of of this kind of disease where we've allowed, and, and this was part of the conversation at the summit, where we've allowed youth clubs also to kind of go off on their own, do their own thing, have a for-profit model. Then you have local amateur clubs or local semi-professional clubs that, um, and some of them are aspiring aspiring pro clubs uh, that are in their own space. Uh, existing in a vacuum, existing in the traditional American sports model of uh, entertainment uh, for kind of short attention span people. They don't really have the deep community ties. They don't really have the ties to even the soccer community, let alone the greater, in in the case of Mobile, greater Mobile community. And uh, that leaves you in a situation where uh, you have all of these kind of um, independent fiefdoms that aren't working together and therefore we're never consolidating and building the type of thing we need to build to be quite frankly and this is i think the overreaching theme um daniel competitive on the global stage this is a global sport you cannot set your own rules you cannot um say this is how we're doing it here and we're going to be ultra competitive because i think the proof is in the pudding we haven't been and uh we need to start taking models from what happens overseas and, and opening our mind up to thinking well maybe there is a reason why um football is structured in this way in 200 countries around the world. And, and in our country, we have it structured differently. Maybe there's a reason why those countries, a lot of those countries are more successful than we are, even with less resources spent on the sport, et cetera. Totally. You know, it, 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 it's one of those things to me where I like to, to, to take what we're talking about and sometimes, you know, look at other um, businesses, operations to try to help people relate and understand. Like, imagine run, having a cafe or a restaurant and you were only going to open five days a year, like Christmas, Easter, you know, five major holidays, and that's the only time you're going to open. You would go out of business. You have to have the volume to be able to support your business. And I hear a lot of fear when I, I have had conversations in the past with these adult amateur teams, a lot of fear in, in a few uh, areas. One is, you know, can we get enough quality players to commit to play a longer season? I think that answer is yes. You just got to look in the right places. Second, the second fear that I've, I've heard in, in terms of, you know, 
having a longer season, doing more around uh, the calendar, 12 months a year. Another fear is, will the community actually engage for that long? You know, we can we can market them and get them for five days, but can we get them to come out for, you know, 20 home matches? I, you know, I don't know. And my feeling is that you're actually going to have a chance to do more over those 20 because you've got you've got consistency rather than you know five five days in june and july for a lot of these adult amateur teams that are playing in these short seasons um and and so you know i i think you're spot on in terms of learning from what works uh around the world it is i i don't know if it's an american arrogance or if if we just have become so accustomed to American sports that we feel like soccer has to work exactly like baseball, basketball, and American football. But I think we would be smart if we were to humble ourselves and be more open-minded and look at what's working around the country, excuse me, around the world, and and start to implement that around the country um, for Youth clubs, adult amateur clubs, you know, because if you if you look at the inverse Cardic, you take a youth club right now, most of those youth clubs could start a first team tomorrow and it not affect their bottom line. If you're an adult amateur team and you don't have that youth component, you can go out of business very quickly. And we see that all the time. So I think there is there's obviously some systemic issues, no doubt. Our system and structure is definitely screwed up. We don't have an open system. We don't have a connected system of leagues. It's not about clubs. It's leagues over clubs. There's no doubt about all of that on a macro level. On a micro level, where your club is, in your community, in your context, there are a lot of things that I think clubs can do better in terms of building your club, building your organization, putting down deep roots, you know, getting into schools for example like are you going into the schools promoting your club promoting the sport with the schools have you figured out a program that you could take in with some of your players into a a pep rally or a uh, you know school assembly and and get your name and your brand in in front of those kids and start to make connections that way there's there's so many ideas there's so many things that we could do but we've we've just been doing things one way for so long and and it's not gotten better um and and i am encouraged though that there are some that are are starting to think outside the box they are starting to to have a rethink on what they've been doing and and i'm hopeful that that will continue to spread through youth clubs through these generational clubs through these um adult teams that are are, are operating as basically a one-team club uh, because we need it. We need that to, to progress. We need that for the system to improve. Um, and, and we really need it to provide pressure on the Federation to open the system up. Because for a long time, they've basically been able to say, well, look, you know, I get what you're saying, but there's a big difference between somebody who is running an MLS franchise and, you know, Joe Nobody running a, you know, community pub team calling himself semi-pro. Um, we're not going to relegate down to that. So, 
you know, I I, I get the the, the pro rail purists. I I am one of those. Uh, but we also have to understand that there are still things that we can do ourselves with our clubs to make them better. And by doing that collectively, organically, we can create pressure from the bottom to to help uh, implement change. Um, what what, are, what what else did you guys learn at the or, or talk about at, at the summit? Well, I actually want to address what you just said, Daniel, because this is so important. I think there are people who, like you and I, are pro rel purists who then have used the, the, the absence of pro-rel and the absence of a federation that's willing to engage and a top league in MLS that uh, is unwilling to engage. And MLS and USL are gobbling up youth clubs uh, and, and, and really taking what, we, what you were just talking about in terms of having some sort of organic, meaningful clubs uh, populating further down the pyramid at the semi-pro and amateur level and uh, denying you know, any sort of oxygen to those, to, to those clubs in their local markets. Um, but that is not a reason to disengage and say, well, because we have a closed system, we're just going to, we're just going to be critics. We're going to throw stones. Uh, there are some people out there who do that, um, who are not willing to actually engage and say the things you and Chris Kessel and others have been saying now for, for several years, which is that there are still things we can do with the club structure we have, with the clubs we have, uh, at a local level to improve them, to improve the performance of soccer in general in this country, improve the output of players in, in the U.S. soccer system, in the ecosystem, and on top of that, Daniel, then pressure U.S. soccer and the powers to be, that be uh, to open up the system saying, hey, we have all these amateur clubs that are ready. They're meaningful cogs. If you integrate them in a, in a vertical pyramid, um, you have a, an opportunity to, to elevate these clubs, elevate the level of play, elevate the level of the sport, uh, everything, uh, and it's not as dangerous a situation potentially for investors in, in those top two leagues in MLS and USL that it, it would be today. So uh, this, is, this is an important point. We can continue to be uh, lament the situation, lament the lack of an open system, the lack of solidarity payments, the lack of uh, our calendar being aligned with, 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 with the countries that uh, quite frankly, where our calendar needs to be, our calendar is not even aligned with youth soccer right now, our professional calendar. So um, we can continue to lament that, but there are changes that can be made right now with our clubs to put the pressure on U.S. soccer uh, to to open up and change the system. Um, at the summit, these sorts of things were discussed. They weren't discussed in the uh, under the context of hey, we we need to uh, force U.S. soccer to implement promotion and relegation. Uh, what was interesting was that I think. At times, we got close to having the, the, the conversation about ProRel, but every time you have the conversation, even in a closed room with uh, uh, the camera off and the tape not running uh, to make people more comfortable, they, they kind of pull back when there are other soccer people or soccer execs around them. And, and you kind of get the sense that there's an underlying feeling in the room that we'd probably be better off with promotion and relegation. We'd be better off playing uh, on a different calendar. We'd be better off with some sort of uh, youth compensation uh, uh, scheme, whether it looks exactly like it does in the rest of the world or, or, or something, uh, just something that incentivizes youth development. But, um, you know, you kind of talk around those issues. So I think as we get further and the education takes uh, a greater hold and, and you continue to do uh, longer form shows like this and your, your bite-sized soccer works um, uh, uh, type shows, 
the, 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 the level of comfort and the level of understanding gets higher among those people running clubs and those people working in the game at the lower division and amateur and semi-professional level to where we can begin to have the conversation in an educated way openly and quite frankly, at that point, we engage people in MLS and, and USL and US soccer because um, this is another thing where I think you and Chris and others have done so much good work to educate. There are people within Major League Soccer. There are people within US soccer. There are people within USL that um, they won't say openly, but actually agree with what we're saying and would like to see changes. But unless you give them a soft landing, they're not going to engage you in conversation. They're not going to risk everything they put into the sport in order to engage us, particularly if you're um, throwing stones and saying, unless you open the system and it fits all the preferences we want, then you're corrupt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's not the tone to take. So I think as we get further in this process, Daniel, we're, we're learning how to communicate, we're engaging people, and we're getting much further along uh, in, in talking about these issues than we were five or six years ago. Well, I, I think that is a, a great landing spot for um, for today. I, I, I do think um, that that is really one of the, the big key initiatives that American independent soccer clubs need to take on themselves is how can I do what I do where I am as best as I can? And, um, and I think that there's a lot of things that we can do. And, and I think, um, in, in doing that, we can get us closer to having that pressure, having, uh, more engagement. Um, and, and, and I think in the long run, the sport's going to be better for it. So Carter, look, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for, uh, dropping in. I look forward to having you back on, uh, very, very soon. Thank you, Daniel, so much, and, and keep up the good work. Keep the conversation going. Appreciate it. That was Cardiff Krishner. If you uh, if you want to uh, learn more about what Cardiff does uh, in, in in his coverage of the game, his work in and around the game, um, you can find him on Twitter at kkfla seven three seven. Again, that's at kk. FLA 737 and you can follow Cardick there and learn more about his work in the game and um, it's you know it's it's real it's real important for us to to know that um, that what we're doing today is not going to get us to where we want to go and even though you know, we all wish that um, that we could get there. We all wish that we could flip a switch and that tomorrow the system would be, you know, the, um, you know, open system that we all hope for, that we, that we want. The, you know, that, that promotion relegation was, was easily and, and readily accessible and it looked like, what we see around the globe it's not going to be there overnight and and so what we've got to do as people involved wherever we are we've got to start working on our own business in our business and on our business um, which in this case is a soccer club and figuring out how do we get better 
how can we do what we do better? How can we connect more to our community? How can we get more connected with our kids in the community? If we are a, uh, a, a single team club, how can we become a generational club? How can we connect the dots um, all the way across the board? So, um, you know, it, it's important that that we that we take those steps that we um do the things necessary to um to 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 get us to the next level so uh thanks for joining the show today thanks for uh tuning into the show tomorrow we've got a a, a guest calling in talking to us from england and uh it's going to be a real treat jack gidney uh make sure you stay tuned for that uh, thanks for tuning in today. As always, you can uh, learn more about what we do on this show and other projects by going to danielworkman.com. Again, that's the show for today. See you tomorrow.